Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, 14th of the 12, 2021. We're going to talk about the Ashes, unfortunately. England going down to a defeat at the Gabatoire. We'll talk about the India squad, Team USA, some New Zealand domestic cricket. But to be honest, we're mainly just going to be bashing the Poms. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, first, we've got to open with a bit of a revelation that Lippy's never seen the Goonies, but um, I'm just trying to gloss over the cracks of England's performance and clutch at straws and pretend we're a, a movie podcast for, for a second or two. But look, I guess we better get to the cricket. Baldy, I'm going to let you bask in your country's cricketing glory. But first of all, do you want to tell us about the shiner that you're sporting on your right cheek and uh, and how that all happened? Not particularly, no. <laughs> do we have to talk about it? I guess we do. If you're going to make me talk about it, yes, I am sporting my first ever cricketing injury, uh, as it were, at the bright old age of 38. Uh, got a ball to the face in warm-ups, a deflection off what must be said was the stand-in wicketkeeper's gloves. Uh, the pr- current member of the Top Order podcast is wicketkeeping for our side, uh, was not present at the game at, at the warm-ups, and uh, yeah, he stuck his hand out. A uh, bit of a deflection past my outstretched right hand and hit the corner of my sunglasses and uh, opened up a, a nasty injury in the uh, on the right cheek so I've got seven stitches under the right eye for the next week or so they'll come out Friday and I'll be ready to go again on Saturday afternoon excellent well Baldy's embarrassment um complete um I guess we're going to start with my embarrassment aren't we well we probably should I mean we it, I think uh fair enough to go back to Baldy and and get all of that this stuff out of the way trying to rip on everyone Binksy but Baldy I, I think actually it's important that you are very full with your praise here because it's so often you criticise, you you downplay everything with Australia, but mm. I think today it's it's time, particularly with that opening, to just bask in Eng- Australia just smashing England. Well, there was a lot to like about Australia's victory over England insofar as Australia batted very well in in patches, um, and particularly in response to England's all-out 147. The tone was really set by that first ball from Mitchell Stark. Call it a plan, call it what you want. It was the perfect opening ball to a, a player like Rory Burns who... As you said, Raj, uh, when we were watching it live, set up incorrectly. He set up far too far off to the offside and just opened himself up to get bowled around his legs. I've never, ever seen that before in a test match. But sure enough, it happened first ball for just the fourth time in an Ashes test match. A player dismissed off the very first ball of a test. And Australia just followed on from there. And it was a real case of that word again, Raj, momentum uh, falling Australia's way. We did a great job in terms of batting through that first um, difficult little session when England had the ball. Uh, Marcus Harris's dismissal was, again, probably going to be a disappointment for him. The only thing I would say around that Australian first innings of batting was that we really let England back into the game a little bit. Manus Lubbershane, having got his way to 74, was a little bit disrespectful to Jack Leach, probably tried to take one opportunity too many and really handed England a bit of a chance to open up the game there and they were able to take, what, four or five wickets, uh, four wickets actually for 29, I think it was, to have Australia 195 for five. But there's there's really a lot to like about that Australian batting performance. Travis Head coming back into the side, making 195, uh, just as, uh, sorry, 150. Uh, and having been 195 for five was an excellent innings from him and probably cements his position in that Australian top five for the near future. And look, our bowlers were, were again exceptional in the second innings, having absorbed a lot of pressure from Joe Root and Darwin Milan, who we must talk about, who batted really, really well. And of course, we'll come on to Nathan Lyon and, and all of those bowlers. A few injury concerns coming out of the game for Australia, but it was a pretty decent all-round performance, 8 out of 10. And, and should, I mean, Binksy, we'll go to you. What did you make of it when England won the toss and, and batted? Because 
there's been a bit made of that now. You know, was it was it the right decision in your eyes? Well, look, I think that the thing that's really in, in my mind is Pat Cummins. And look, maybe this is a bit of mind games, but sorry, Patrick Cummings. Um, <laughs> keep saying that he would have batted first and apparently said that after the test match as well. And then I think when you look at the way the game played out, England probably had the better of the batting conditions in their second innings. Um, Root and Milan making it look pretty easy for a period of time, including against Nathan Lyon, actually. So um, they were able to really, you know, I know he only went for what, I think 3.7 or something like that in, mm. in that uh, second innings, but they were able to score off him relatively easily. And um, I don't really know what my thought process is here. I was trying to kind of figure this out as I put my planning notes together. And the stuff that I've got is, you know, our slip catching has been a worry for me for a pretty decent period of time. Rory Burns dropped a pretty easy one. We've got leaving the cricket ball. Manus Labuschagne gave a really good masterclass in that, leaving the ball on length. A lot of the England players sparring outside the off stump. We've got the monkey uh, or the monkey on the back or the elephant in the room and forget the, the the correct version of that particular um metaphor we've got no one averaging over 30 in the last 12 months for england bar joe root who averages nearly double that um 60 something in the last 12 months we've got the analysts seeming to captain the side. So he's obviously decided that Broad and Anderson don't play because on, you know, a, a game that starts on a Friday at the Gabber in an odd-numbered month, you know, the chances of them winning were uh, lower than 50%. Um, and, and then we've got the bizarre situation as well from a preparation perspective where neither team's really got a lot of cricket in. But when you actually look at it, um, Travis Head, big, big runs in the Sheffield Shield, all of the bowling quartet, um, bar Nathan Lyon, have played in a T20 World Cup. You've got Minus Labuschagne has played a pretty much a full season for Queensland so far. England Lions are there. They didn't even send the guys that needed either overs in the legs or a bat off to that game, with the exception of Don Bess. Why was Zach Crawley wearing a high-vis um, and running the drinks instead of playing in that A game? Um, I don't know. So, look, I don't really know where to start in terms of that um, In terms of that England piece. Are. Um, from a toss perspective, though, I think we'd still be having this conversation about England losing that are just lost in a different way. Mm. Let's let's go right back. Let's go right back to the selection. Prior to the test, Anderson fit, not selected. Broad fit, ostensibly, both of them fit. No COVID issues, no illness, no niggles, no calf There's muscles. There's been a talk of niggle of, of Anderson's calf, but who, who knows? Eng England declared him fit and ready to play. Yeah. How and, and so did he on his Instagram, yeah. by the way. So, he said he was disappointed <laughs> not to be playing. Yeah. So why can can anyone explain? Because I'm sure no one in cricket circles can explain this. Can anyone explain why Broad and Anderson weren't playing in that test match? No, I cannot uh, explain that. I'll just, I'll just leave that there. Look, if I'm reaching at straws, I'm thinking they're trying to rest them for other parts of the series, but that doesn't make sense to me. If you, you one of your best chances is going to be the first test at the Gabba, when it's been raining for a month, uh, it's going to be going to be your time for your seam bowlers to take wickets. It kind of pairs up with the fact that they also batted first. Obviously, they thought maybe they'll, they'll use the spin, they'll use Jack Leach towards the end of the test match. Um, look, he didn't really get a chance in the second innings, did he? Uh, but I, I was completely dumbfounded by it. We were watching it together, Baldy, and, and I couldn't believe that when it came up. And I, I missed the toss. I missed all that stuff. And I was ready to watch that first ball, and it said... 
England won the toss and are batting. I could not believe it. And then the the, the gasp that went through my house and then Baldy running around all <laughs> all of the levels of my house after that first ball. That, all um, of the levels, a bit of a, a, a bit flex. Of a flex, a flex yeah, I, I won't cut that out. Um, <laughs> oh, no, please don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, just after that first ball, it was incredible. But I, I don't understand it. It was, a, for me... Like you said, there's too much overthinking. How are they going to win the game? I think they're going to win the game in that first session, just like Australia did. They won the game in that first session. Actually, listening to all that, it makes logical sense what they've done. You have a batting side that averages um, less than 30 across, uh, across the whole side except one guy. And then you've got 1,100 test wickets. The logical <laughs> thing to do is to leave those 1,100 test wickets out and try and win the game with the bat in the first session at the Gabba. Mm. Mm. What was weird, I, I actually think when you run it through like that, that those two things in terms of, you know, we're going to uh, bat first to kind of set a marker down, because it felt like that's sort of what they were doing. They were saying, and, and sometimes that can work, right? You can say, look, we're not afraid of you. Like, we're coming in here, we're going, okay, we're going to bat first, we can handle your bowling attack, we're going to be none, one for 90 at, the, at, t at lunch, and we're going to be able to say, okay, good luck for the rest of the test. But then they leave out, those those bowlers and and they're sort of saying, well, we're going to save them for for later on in the series. So it doesn't; those two things don't compute in my head. Yeah, you know what helps being not afraid is having a weapon. Um, and Jimmy uh, Jimmy Anderson <laughs> and Stuart Broad are the best bowling weapons in those conditions that you could ask for. The other thing that perplexed me when Australia started to bat, no one went around the wicket to David Warner in the first like thirty balls of his innings. No one did. If there's one thing that we've learned, if there's one thing that data has taught us. It's that going around the wicket to David Warner is probably a good idea, is it not? Am I wrong? You're you're, you're completely right, and and, and uh, <laughs> I guess the question now for me, and I don't think we're going to get an answer for this. But I'm going to ask you to answer it, Pixie. Is uh, do England think that James Anderson and Stuart Broad are their best bowlers in Australian conditions? Because that's the only thing I can think why they left them out. Look, I I don't know. I, I really don't know. They've got a pedigree. They've obviously, I think, as a bowling attack, struggled historically in Australia, ostensibly because of a lack of pace. But the best bowler on show for England was the one with probably the lowest speeds on the gun, and that was Ollie Robinson. Yeah, 100%. So, look, I, I, I don't know how they've made these decisions. I can only think that they've almost overcomplicated this from an analytical perspective and gone, you know, we, we don't think we've got this right. But then even that doesn't make any logical sense when a guy like Chris Wokes, as much as I love Chris Wokes, he averages 70 with a Kookaburra ball in Australia. And he's apparently one of our best four seamers. We talk about matchups over and over again. We play a left arm spinner against a batting lineup that's got four or five left handers in it. It just makes no logical sense to me the decisions that they have made in the setup for this test. They haven't given themselves a chance. To the point around laying a marker, I don't think you try and lay a marker with the bat in that situation. If they'd have bowled absolute dross, as they have done in the opening session of other test matches, um, let's not forget we've got you know the Harmison's ball to slip. We've got some terrible um, bowling performances in history. At least as a team, you get the opportunity to bring yourself back into that session with a good session of bowling because you mm. can go three for or four for in a session. And they did. And, and they did. But once you've put yourself in a position where you're, I don't even know what they were, four for 40 with a bat or something like that, yep. then 
you, you're never going to get back in the game. We, we got to the point where Milan and Root put on a phenomenal partnership and it still was n- nearly a situation where they didn't make Australia bat again from being in a position where two guys put on 150. Mm. So, uh, look, I don't know, the, the stats have, have gone mad or, you know, maybe the humidity has fried a few brains or <laughs> um, interfered with the Wi-Fi and they couldn't download the stats. I don't know, but um, <laughs> it just, nothing makes sense to me about the way England have set up for this uh, for this game. The big caveat though, no warm-ups, and I think we're going to see this over and over again, particularly with COVID protocols. Um, teams are going to get caught um, very hot in, in Brisbane, obviously, at 37 degrees and 90 million percent humidity, um, but ultimately going to get caught cold. Um, and we as Test cricket fans, I think, are going to get have to get used to the fact that the first test of a series is going to be a warm-up for both teams quite often. Look, this is going to be a fun series. If Binksy's going to get this wound up in every in every single test, we, to be fair, we have bashed we have bashed his side quite heavily in the in the opening seven or eight minutes of the pod. But that, that's true. And it, honestly, I I think actually, are we surprised that it unfolded this way? Because you know, I think we've bashed England's batting lineup, and not not I don't even think in a harsh way. Their batting lineup has not been good outside of root for for a long time, and mm. we probably should actually you know flip the conversation around and say that those Aussie bowlers were very, very good in that first session. Yep. Cummins, Hazelwood in particular, honestly, every time I watch them, they just give you nothing. And I think we talked last week about those Indian spinners and how they just bowl and they, they just don't give you a ball to even get runs off. And eventually one of them's got your number. And it was exactly like that watching Cummins and Hazelwood. Eventually they're just going to fish it one outside off stump and they're going to nick it. Yeah, Cummins and Hazelwood were excellent, but in my view, Mitchell Stark set the tone for those Australians, and he's done it in opening overs of tournaments and opening overs of big games before. There is a lot of criticism levelled at Mitchell Stark, sometimes by me, sometimes by Shane Warne, of him being not in tremendous form. But his performance in that first test set the tone for the whole match, if not the whole series, in terms of he was bang on the money when everyone else was kind of getting a feel for the game. He was at 100%. And he was right on top of his game and he really made England pay. And it allowed Cummins and Hazelwood to come in and bowl to Joe Root and bowl to Ben Stokes inside the first 45 minutes. Because let's face it, this Australian attack is a new ball attack. Against India last year, we were terrible between overs 30 to 75. And even in this test match, when Milan and Joe Root were able to get in against Australia, we looked like we had no penetration, no ability to take a wicket as soon as that kookaburra started to get a little bit old and a little bit soft, Australia did not look like taking a wicket. As it was, an unlikely hero emerged in Cameron Green and was able to prize a few wickets out in between sort of the end of day three or three and and the beginning of day four when the ball was kind of old. But traditionally, or for a little while now, Australia haven't been a tremendous old ball attack. Baldy, how impressed were you with Patrick Cummins' captaincy? Um for me, seemed to bring himself on at the right time. And, and, and back to Lippi's point, he put down a couple of markers. As soon as Root came came in, he got himself on. But then how do you think he captained his resources as well throughout the course of the Test match on captaincy debut? Well, I think there are a couple of nice little points of view that... Oh, sorry, a couple of nice little things that he did. And that was that when, when key batters came in, he went to his key bowlers. He went to Josh Hazelwood against Root in the first innings, picked him up, no problem, thank you very much. And he picked himself when he wanted to bowl against particular batters. He got those decisions pretty much right. 
Of course, he had to he had to kind of manipulate and manage Josh Hazel, Josh Hazelwood, who picked up a bit of I think a side injury that might rule him out of the second test. So he had limited resources to work with, as England did, and as Joe Root did with a couple of their guys going down as well. But I thought he was probably a seven and a half, eight out of ten. Didn't really notice him. I think it was a good captaincy game on debut. I thought he was really good as well, and he, he managed that time with with Hazelwood out, as you mentioned, uh, quite well from a bowling point of view, from a resources point of view. But I felt like he, as well as uh, Joe Root, which I do want to talk about in a second, let the game drift through that period at the end of that day. It was day day two, day three. Day three, England day three batting well. England yeah, were batting three, well. Yeah. Uh, and just let it, let it, let it, let them establish themselves and actually put together a big partnership. And you saw that, saw that get erased very quickly on the, on the fourth morning. From, a, from Joe Root's perspective, I actually think, um, I'll talk about a negative thing first and I'll finish with a positive one, a little <laughs> sandwich there. Um, I think he was very guilty of letting the Australians bat. Uh, we, I, I was, we were texting each other, Baldy, I believe, and we were talking about when Manus was in and he was in there with David Warner and they were building that partnership. And he was setting fields and, and, and bowling bowlers or bowling areas for Australians to make mistakes. And then we got, uh, we, sorry, Australians got that... <laughs> Jeez, uh, scary. Got that... Uh, got that um, mistake eventually when, when Manus hit that, that to point. And then you saw that domino effect fall through the Australian order, which is where we thought they'd be fragile uh, as well. The positive thing about Joe Root, I think he's learnt, is he's learnt how to, how to treat a Ferrari when it comes to a, a fast bowler. You saw when in the last Ashes when they had Joffre Archer, he was just bowling him like a tractor, as you said, and um, at that time. And this time he was bowling Mark Wood and really short spells, really quick spells mm. at the end of the day he was still up in the mid 140s which is incredible so i think that's a good thing learning from him lip i've got a question for you as well around spin in this test match um we can immediately just jump to the fact that leach went for 73 and over or something like that <laughs> um throughout the course of his spell but uh, jokes aside how do you um how do you talk about the way that he was targeted um, the fact that he had to bowl probably in the most challenging conditions and then the flip side, I guess, and Baldy might want to come in on this as well, is, is Nathan Lyon's performance. Obviously really searching for that 400th test wicket, which maybe he wasn't really thinking about. It's just the commentators um, bringing that up at every possible opportunity. But if you actually analyse his performance, he got the top order wicket of Milan, um, who came down and, and, look, I guess was a little bit unlucky to probably smother that out to bat pad. But then he's done a little bit of tail burgling and got um, Ollie Pope, who played probably the most horrendous shot of the test match. Um, but from a spin perspective, is is Jack Leach now unpickable for this Adelaide test match and, and any games as we move forward and Lions performance as well? There's a lot to unpack from from everything you've said there. And, and I think probably the first point, which doesn't necessarily touch on the spinners, is I thought that the way both sides dealt with momentum in that test was was huge and actually the deciding factor because as much as we've you know been critical of England in this test... You said before, Baldy, they, they were five, Australia was five for 195. I mean, they were still ahead of the game, but there was a point there where they could, England could have got themselves back in that match again with the Milan and Root performance. They, they were in with a sniff. You know, at the end of that day, I was thinking, geez, what could they, what could they kind of get ahead here and, and put some pressure on Australia? But Australia, the way they dealt with momentum, Travis Head's innings is, is the absolute example of that. And, I guess that leads on to the way that Warner, Head, Smith, all of them dealt with Leach, is that they went, well, 
we're not just going to let him bowl overs. We're not going to let him bowl at four and over and and be someone who can bowl 15, 20 overs in a day. We're going to really put the pressure on him right now. I mean, Steve Smith, Manus got out to him, and then Steve Smith came down second ball and tried to, like, thump him over mid-wicket, mm. kind of skewed one away, and it still went for four. But that they were just going, okay, he's no, going to be no part in this game. And once that happened, it makes it very hard for Joe Root to then use his bowlers the way he wants to do. So, look, on, on Leach himself... When you when you bat first and score 147, you're on a hiding to nothing. Particularly if someone comes out like that, on whether they can play him again, I, I don't know. I mean, because you get in a situation where you're like in like in New Zealand, where you actually have to pick your best four bowlers for the conditions. And is is Jack Leach one of the best four bowlers for England in the next pink ball tests? I would say probably not. Even though as much as I want to see a spinner and as much as I want to see him get another opportunity because I don't actually think he bowled terrible deliveries for the most part. They just took him apart. Yeah, no, he doesn't play in Adelaide unless his arm ball really swings. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, to put it in perspective, I think his you know, his figures after 10 overs, it was about 60% of England's overall score in the first inning. So <laughs> he really, they really took uh, took um, went after him. My question is, if you don't pick him, does that mean you're not picking a spinner? Because... What do they bring in? I mean, Don, Don Bess hasn't exactly responded to that sort of attacking sort of uh, attacking style as well. Uh, so do they pick him on the spinner? It depends what you want from a spinner, right? Because Joe Root can probably do, you know, come around the wicket and soak up some overs if that's what they want. He can actually do that role probably, probably is more inclined to do that role than Jack Leach actually is, who wants to run in and bowl, you know, pitching it on. Yeah, wants to actually get a wicket, whereas Joe Root is quite happy, it seems, to just run in as much as he's able to take wickets doing that. He's quite happy to just run in and Mm. and get through some overs. Yeah, I think in Adelaide, Jack Leach won't feature, and if England bowl any spin, it will be Root, J, and they'll go with four pace bowlers plus Ben Stokes and whatever they can get. And remember that Dawid Malan can bowl leg breaks as well. So they're not they're not bereft of options in terms of um, you know part-time spin. Yeah, Bordy, just on that, before you get to Nathan Lyon, um, Don Bess was the only member of the England squad that played in that Lions game. Four for 80 off 23 against the um, Australia A side. And then in the second innings, uh, back that up with bowling a hell of a lot of overs, uh, 37 overs, two for 157. So, um, look, I don't think you'll see him play in Adelaide. I, I don't think they'll go down that route, but um, they'll go down the other route. Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. That was very good. Well, we'll talk about Nathan Lyon. He's waited a long time. He's waited like 325 days to get wicket 400. And we've talked about it on the podcast. We've talked about Nathan Lyon having to have a bat pad on the offside. And finally, he put one in. Lo and behold, he gets wicket 400 with a bat pad on the offside. So for listeners, as bad as our predictions have been in terms of series results and bold predictions for him not getting wickets, actually the analysis of maybe bat Lyon should have a bat pad on the offside was, was one of the things we got right. And now that he's broken the shackles, he's kind of, as you said, Adam, kind of tail burgled, although I'd argue that Ollie Pope's probably not a tail end. <laughs> I think if you're calling Ollie Pope a, a tail... Well, we've got, the we've tail. got bigger problems than, than that. Um, I, I did actually say that he tail burgled and got... And got Ollie Pope. And got Ollie Pope, who played the worst shot of yeah. the test match. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Fair and enough. I stand by that comment. Fair enough. Uh, so he will be more of a factor over the course of the series now, because I think now that he's got a little bit of a pressure off his shoulders, he can bowl with a little bit more freedom, and hopefully he learns the lesson that uncomfortable fields that are effective are sometimes worth persisting with. 
Can we move uh, back to the Australians for a little bit here and, and talk about Travis Head? Because oh, I think I think that was, you know, I just mentioned it in the momentum, but, you know, that was, like, is this a, you know, a career-defining innings for him? What, what are we thinking? Well, I think if he goes on and makes more runs in the series and makes another big score or big contribution in, in a, another winning performance, then, yes, we will look back at this as being, you know, Travis Head's runnable 150 and third fastest Ashes innings, uh, Ashes 100 ever is a career-defining moment for him. It gives him an opportunity to have enough rope that he can spend the rest of the series solidifying his spot in that Australian middle order and justify the selectors' faith in him as both a player mm. and a potential future leader of Australia. Now, don't forget that a few years ago, Travis Head was touted as the future captain of the Australian cricket team and would have probably been in line now to take over from Tim Payne instead of Pat Cummins, had he performed consistently over that period of time. So there is a lot to like about Travis Head, both as a cricketer and as a leader. I think he's given himself, with this innings, enough rope to play himself out for the rest of the summer. And let's hope, for Australia's sake, that he can go on and make another one or two big scores in, in winning contributions, particularly at home in Adelaide, where they're going to need him against a swinging ball. And let's not forget, seven days ago, there was an argument whether it was him or Usman Kawaja that was going to take that number five spot. The way that he's batted in that innings has, has really made a statement, hasn't it, for him to be able to come out and play with that level of freedom when essentially if he gets a low score, it was, oh, we should have gone with um, Kawaja. So, look, hats off to him. I thought he batted brilliantly. He was brilliant. He was really, really good. And and he took the any chance of England getting back into that game away from them immediately. He will never get a better platform to come in and make runs. He came in at, what, 180 for three or whatever it was and Australia were already leading on the first innings. Like, he got a brilliant platform to go in and make kind of almost worry-free runs. As it turned out, he had to bat with Kerry and then and then the tail to get through to that because we were 190 for five. But he'll never get a better opportunity, and I'm glad he made the most of it. Guys, but, we'll come on to, I, I guess, the second test and some, some injuries, but first, a couple of housekeeping things. So we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, technology, and we've talked... Um, over rates as well. I don't want to necessarily open those two cans of worms, but we've got to mention it, right? Um, oh, how good was it to see those guys get a massive fine for over rates? I thought that was brilliant because that's that's how it's going to happen. And they got they lost their World Test Championship points as well. Five they points. Lost yeah, five yeah, points. Yeah. That's so big. Five points is more than what you get for a draw, right? Yeah. So that's a that's a huge huge fine for England. And, and that 100% of their match fee, I didn't realise how heavily incentivized England players are in terms of their match payments. That was like a, the equivalent of about 30 grand that those guys lost for those for those slow over rates. So that's a, a huge hit in the skyrocket for those for those players right. for being slow. That's an extra level on anyone's house, isn't it, really? Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, Binksy's you've talked before about, you know, removing players, all these punitive things, but they start hitting that pocket and they start taking away those points. It is seriously going to have a difference. And I loved that one. I did not like Travis Head getting fined. What on earth is he getting fined? 15% of his match fee. I know he used a, a, a naughty word, but... He's just having a crack at himself. Didn't swear at anyone. What's well, going on? He's a future future leader of Australia. I think that's. We'll probably see him resign tomorrow. I don't, I'd imagine. That's it. Check his phone. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> is there any justification for him not being fined? I mean, everyone. I who... think the broadcaster should be fined. It's not his fault. Well, it is. He said it. <laughs> well, fair. I guess that's fair. But but why? You know why? Why are we even hearing that? 
Isn't there a two-second delay or something? Why why has someone left that on to be played other than to, for it to go around social media and everyone's going to have a laugh at it? Well, we have had some technology breakdowns. So before we go apoplectic <laughs> about this, we can move on. Uh, maybe it was the technology that failed and they didn't get the bleep um, in time. Agree wholeheartedly with the overrates. The only comment I'd make, and this is nothing to do with England having been at the receiving end of this, is I do think we need to look at putting in some parameters around the fact that it isn't just the fielding side that affects the fielding side's overrates. Batters changing their gloves, having drinks every single minute. Um, they need to address what that looks like. Um, I don't want to go down the sort of draconian, um, you know, Alan Border comment, wasn't it? When I think Robin Smith asked for a glass of water and, and Alan Border, I think, said, what do you think this is, a tea party? So, look, I, I do think um, there needs to be something around that because it isn't just the fielding side that affect those overrates. And, and they've got to be consistent, right? And yep. got to be consistent. Everyone's got to get him. him and, that, and that's the challenge is that it's up to the match referee. And in this case, it was David Boone, the match referee, who chose to enforce that protocol. And let's hope that in future that gets enforced consistently. And just to touch on Alan Border there, he also did warn Dean Jones in his 210 in Calcutta that if he didn't keep going and if he was going to vomit all over the pitch and want to come <laughs> off he'd get Greg Ritchie or some other Queenslander in to go and do a proper job so he's as harsh on his own teammates as he is on the opposition to be fair yeah um, but Baldy technology breaking down in Brisbane um, yeah do you want to talk is that just because it is a big country town and they've not got the bandwidth <laughs> or what was the problem uh, well, a couple of problems a couple of problems so one of them was apparently there was a power outage and that was what would affect it, uh, your viewing experience as a viewer so uh, one of the generators at the Gabba failed and then they had to do all sorts of running around to get power rerouted and, you know, alterations to the central grid to get the, the power back onto bit, the main supply and, diesel. and all that kind of stuff over to the, over to the, the broadcast trucks uh, to get the, to get the signal from, from the TV uh, cameras and the cameras around the ground. And of course you will have noticed that the third, um, third umpire wasn't able to use the no ball technology throughout the test match and of course Snicko or RTS wasn't available in the test match as well again gremlins in the calibration of the sensors at the ground that set up the Hawkeye um, system weren't able to be calibrated correctly and of course due to quarantine restrictions traveling into Queensland from out of state the technical um, boffins or ninjas as they as they're often called in the industry um weren't able to get into Queensland in time to be able to rectify that. So unfortunately for Ben Stokes, that technology that probably would have alerted him to having overstepped previously before bowling David Warner wasn't available. And also the RTS technology that would have um, revealed a couple of caught behinds also wasn't available to be used as well, um, should be rectified for Adelaide. I think the biggest um, the biggest impact it had on the game was if they had actually caught Ben Stokes as all his no balls, Australia wouldn't have had to bat again in that fourth innings. They would have, they would have just been able to, to go home after that third innings. But do, do you buy that argument where they're saying that Ben Stokes, you know, he overstepped, he should have known earlier, uh, then that, that's what I feel like that. I don't feel like that's a great argument. I think the, the thing I would say is you hear the commentators talk about it, and, and especially the older commentators, you know, there's no excuse for that. When I were a lad, I measured my run-up with a, you know, a, a ruler and never overstepped once in 400 years. That that kind of stuff from <laughs> the Boycott people. didn't bowl a lot, though, yeah. in Test Cricket, oh, to be fair. That was Fred Truman. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry yeah, about that. Sorry. In, in, in well, the, at least you got the county right. Yeah, no, that, that that's good. But, but the, just in the last 12 months since they actually got this 12, 12 uh, sorry, in the last 12 months since they got this technology, 
Have they forgotten how to call no balls with the uh, so, naked eye? So the on-field umpire should absolutely be still monitoring that. I think particularly in this situation, I, I, I have to say I have a little bit of sympathy because the dialogue that the players have with the umpires is important. Um, and, and I think that umpires will often say to a bowler, hey, you're getting a little bit close Plus, on that front yeah. line, have a little look. And I'm not saying that that then um, sort of absolves Ben Stokes from overstepping by a pretty big margin on that no ball that bowled um, Warner. But if you've got that nudge from the umpire that you're getting close, it, it might be as simple as just, you know, moving your mark back a little bit or being aware of it. So I do think, again, um, look, it's pretty poor that we can't get those kind of things right in, you know, what Bordy's already sort of pointed out. It's a pretty expensive game. Mm. Well, guys, I think we've gone on enough about the, the first test. We'll come back after a swish, talk a little bit about the second test, which starts uh, tomorrow in Adelaide, day-night pink ball test match. We've also got some chat about the India squad, um, Team USA, and some New Zealand domestic news as well coming up on the pod. Stay tuned. Yeah, look, uh, I really want to talk about the second test um, from a selection point of view because... You know, forget predictions. We we just have no idea what's going to happen. But there are a few injury things that are, have come up. You mentioned Hazelwood before. It sounds like he's definitely been ruled out already. There's Warner, who sounds like he's a 50-50 call, whether he's going to get a jab in his ribs or or what's going to happen. And then we've, t- you know, we've Chris Silverwood, I think, has come out and said, yes, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad are available for this test. We haven't picked the side yet. But to me, that suggests they're in. Oh, they were so, available for the first test as well. They also were. But that, I guess that's, that raises the question, who who is going to be drop out for them? Because you touched on before, a couple of those English bowlers actually bowled well. And if they want to bring in the ones that, or remove the ones that didn't do that well, then that does muck up the balance of their side, perhaps. So... I mean, what are we thinking? Let's start with Australia. I guess, Baldy, Jai Richardson is the one that I've seen that's going to come in for Josh Hazelwood. Mm-hmm. I feel a bit gutted for Michael Neeser in this situation because I feel like that guy's been in every single test squad for years, two or three years, yeah. and he's been behind the main core, mm. and then he's been behind James Pattinson, mm. and Pattinson retires, and now it looks like he's still not going to get to play a test. Yeah, look, I'm going to put my one-eyed Queenslander hat on here because Michael Neeser, being a Queenslander, is the new Michael Kasperitz, who's the new Andrew Bickle, who's the new <laughs> Carl Rackerman, i.e. Queenslanders who are good enough to play test cricket but find themselves being 12th man a lot for Australia. I think Joe Richardson is the natural candidate to come in for Josh Hazelwood. He's had a really, really good uh, domestic season. He's taken two seven-fers already, one of them against Queensland, and another one I think in South Australia might have even been at Karen Rolton Oval, perhaps. Uh, but Joe Richardson's in good form and probably good enough to come into that side, even though Michael Neeser, I think, took a five-fer against... Uh, the seven England, wickets in the game, yeah. Yeah, against, uh, against the England Lions in that warm-up test, uh, warm-up game in Brisbane while the test was going on. So he'll be unlucky to miss out, but I think the selectors will go with Jai Richardson at this stage. And that's the only change you see for Australia? I think so, unless Warner's ruled out, and then I think Usman Kawaja will come in to the lineup, which ironically probably puts more pressure on Marcus Harris because if Warner is out, he will certainly be back for Melbourne. And it would mean that Marcus Harris and Usman Kawaja are therefore fighting for one spot for the rest of the series. Because if Marcus Harris fails again, my bold prediction of three openers losing their spots over the course of the series is starting to look reasonably good because his position is starting to look shaky. And I've already got one in Warner perhaps missing a test match. Yeah, I was going to say, you must be just sweating on Warner. You're, you're secretly hoping he doesn't play just so that that can get one in the column there. One, one out of four, yeah. <laughs> 
And England, if we move across to England, they've got a few injuries there with Stokes especially and the makeup of what their, their bowling lineup looks like. Yeah, a lot depends on Ben Stokes' fitness, I think, if he is fit to bowl. Um, and look, let's just hope, first of all, he's fit to play. If he's fit to bowl, I think, you know, he does have a little bit of extra pace and probably gives them that option. Um, I wonder whether or not that puts Mark Wood at risk. Um, and they kind of say that Stokes can play as that guy that can bowl a little bit quicker than perhaps some of the other guys. Um, Leach, I don't think, plays. I think we've already talked about that. So Root would offer you your spin option. And that gives you then the ability to get both Anderson and Broad into that side would be... Um, look, that would be what I would would guess. But hey, who knows what the England selectors might do? They might um, call up a left arm, uh, a left arm over the wrist spinner from uh, from grade <laughs> cricket. Who, who knows? I feel like with Stokes, if they can get away with him just being a batsman, surely in a pink ball test, he might be less, might be required less. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I, look, I, I think there's a lot of talk about the fact that he should probably just play. Um, as a batter and sees bowling as a little bit of a of a bonus, but yeah. unfortunately, I think he's that kind of guy that he wants the ball in his hand when he's out there. You know, when he's fielding, he's not going to give up. I was really surprised that he didn't just say, "Put me in the slips," because at least I'll catch it, even if I break my finger again. Um, we saw him camping at mid off for, for most of the test yeah. match, and when his knee was sore, he just came he came back and bowled anyway, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. that was yeah, that was unusual. But yeah, it speaks to how resilient and how stubborn he is as a cricketer stubborn in a good way uh, in terms of not not wanting to be out of the game okay so you've got anderson and broad you've got ben stokes and you've got two more bowlers to choose from let's assume that ollie robinson is fit because it looked like he was pretty gassed in that first test at, at various points and he might be carrying a little bit of a niggle at some stage possibly yeah who's who are the two guys that you pick for adelaide um so i think you i think you play anderson and broad um yep. I think Wokes probably plays again, and I think Robinson plays again. Yep. Um, so I think, for, for me, would be would be the man to miss out. We'd go with four seamers. Our spin comes from um, Joe Root. Stokes, if he plays, obviously gives you a fifth seaming option. Um, the only left field thing that, again, I would probably take a look at is whether or not Bairstow comes into the side. Um, I, I think, you know, if you look at his record, um, it's comparable to that of Ollie Pope. Um, and I just wonder whether he's got that big game temperament. Um, I don't think they'll do that, but it, it would have been something I'd have been considering, um, particularly when you pick him in the squad to come over and tour. They've got to pick Wood. I, I'll be gutted if they do not pick Wood because like Raj said before, they were using him really well and he caused those, some of those guys some trouble. And, and I just think Wokes is not Wokes is not in your best four bowlers. He, he batted really well. I thought he looked good with the bat. But yeah, I... I I'll be gutted if Wood does. I know he can't play five tests, and I know they'll be thinking that. And he very rarely plays back-to-back test matches as well. So, but but they got to win this test. They they have to. If they go into this test, and you know, there's been a lot made of okay, Australia pink or pink ball test. This is England's chance because they have bowlers who can swing the ball. Australia's not lost a, a pink ball test. Lippy, I don't disagree with, with your sentiments. He's never bowled more than twenty overs in a test match innings. He has in this test match in Brisbane. Rarely plays back-to-back tests. Hey, I'd imagine all of that prediction means that he plays. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, I, I, it wouldn't for me. I, I just think it means that he's not available on those docile drop-in pitches at, at the MCG um, later in the tour. Right, lads, we've had zero preparation. My bold prediction was that Nathan Lyon wouldn't get a wicket and wouldn't get to 400. He did. Uh, how did your bold predictions go for this test match? We got play, so unfortunately I think you're out <laughs> straight away, Adam. Stuart, how did you go? 
Uh, I think I'm actually looking okay. I'm going to claim kind of half credit for I. I said that the 400 uh, first, the team that batted first was going to get 400. I know the team that batted first did not uh, get they, 400. They were 250 short. How are you getting credit did, for that? I did say as long as that's not England because I don't rate England's batting lineup. So Australia yeah. batted got 400 in their first thing. So I'm going to claim a tiny, tiny little bit of credit. And I think I'd be in actually a great position for my long-term bet if Cameron Green actually decided to use his bat because he's, he's, <laughs> his, uh, his bowling average is looking really nice. Yes, very good. I'm going to take half for mine as well because Joe Root didn't make um, double figures in the first innings. He almost <laughs> made triple figures in the second innings, which was my backup plan. Um, You'll get to claim credit if he made triple figures. Perfect. Hold on, I'm claiming some credit because it did rain at one point. <laughs> match, so, uh, no. uh, I think from a, from a match predictions, I think we're probably all on the lower end of of the scale there in terms of a win. But from a series perspective, I had Day David Milan to score uh, the highest runs for England. He's taken a step in that direction. He's on track. Yep. 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 And look, and look, you know, there are a few other things we want to talk about. You know, moving on from this England series. India, South Africa, I know there's been a few. That, that's actually a series that I'm uh, interestingly really, really keen to, to watch and it, it is going to be on Sky and covered in New Zealand, which is great because for for a change I can now watch India and kind of enjoy it because they've been playing New Zealand so regularly I've, I've had to cheer against them. But in particular with South Africa coming here, there are a lot of interesting things that have popped up out of this uh, Indian squad and... Um, I know we'll talk about captaincy and, and all the other things. Raj, you probably got some thoughts on that. But uh, I think also it's very interesting that every time they have a selection dilemma, a few people seem to get injured and make that selection dilemma a little bit easier. But Raj, I mean, why don't we go captaincy first? Rohit Sharma now taking over as the white ball captain? Yeah, and it seems like there's a lot of different stories floating around. But at the end of the day, we t- we've been talking about this for the best part of 18 months, saying that there is sort of... Um, there is, there is uh, some rumours, some innuendo going around that maybe Virat Kohli's time as, as captain uh, definitely in the white ball was over and, and that has come to fruition. He stepped down from the 2020 and then uh, subsequently the selectors finished him off uh, in the ODIs. And, and, and it, it makes sense when they're saying they want one person to lead the white ball, white ball game and if they're going to split it down the middle, one person to, to lead the red ball cricket as well. So I don't have a problem with it and I think it was on the cards. When you look at uh, teams around the world, there's not many that have uh, you know a, a leader across all three formats. Uh, I think maybe Barbara Azam does it for for. Pakistan and, and obviously we have Kane here, but yeah, there are not there are not a lot around the, the test playing nations that, that do it anymore. Yeah. I think the the one thing I wanted to pick up on that with uh, Rohit as well is that vice captaincy in the test match probably tells us more about what's going to happen in that test lineup, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because of of the selections that they've made. They're obviously you know. Virat Kohli must have put a head out on Rohit Sharma, and he's unfortunately he's had to withdraw from the test uh, the test series in South Africa, and they've drafted in another opening batsman who uh, um, his name is escaping me. Priyank Panchal. He's coming in. He's been uh, a backup for a long time. Uh, he's thirty one years old. He's played over a hundred first class games, so he's well prepared if if he gets a game. But I think you'll see uh, Mayank Agarwal slotting in there with KL Rahul uh, at the, uh, in the opening slots, and then you've got your standard three, four, five. I think they'll definitely get a get a chance, uh, hopefully for a, for a Boxing Day special of some kind. Uh, but uh, Vahari is back in the squad as well after having an okay tour of uh, South Africa with the A squad. So. 
Uh, yeah, interesting. There's no Jadeja. I think that's injury related. Yeah, Jadeja and Aksha both injured. It, sound, it does sound like Jadeja might be out for a while, but yeah, curious because I, I was, you know, we've had this conversation about who are they going to pick now and all these three spinners, but yeah, it looks, looks like those two have kind of ruled themselves out. I was going to say, I think if, if you're putting together a blueprint of going to South Africa, I think you look at what kind of success they had in Australia and they do the same thing. So I think they're going to go in there with, with three or four seam bowlers and a spinner of some kind, depending on what the, the makeup looks like. But I think the, those pace bowlers are the ones they are hoping are going to take all the wickets. Anyway. Yeah, and it's exciting, right? Because I, th- I think from when I can look at this test series as a neutral, I actually am starting to marvel at this Indian side and the way that we've talked about them as an, an all-conditioned side. And look, if they can go over to South Africa and do similarly what they did in Australia with Siraj and Bumrah and Shami and, and Ishant, who I, I actually think Ishant is fading away. I know nobody wants him that to happen to him, but yeah, every time I've seen him bowl, it seems that way. But if they can go over there with those seamers and do a job against South Africa, I'll be very impressed. It's going to be a fascinating test series because South Africa World Cup notwithstanding, they actually played really well in the they World Cup. Well the World they Cup. were they were they were unlucky to miss out on the semi-finals. They missed out, sure, but they were unlucky. I think they're actually a side that is slightly overachieving at the moment. You know, they're going through a little bit of a um, an upheaval at home domestically. A few players are coming back as few well. A few players they? are coming back. They've got new blood in the team. They've got fresh faces. They've got still some great bowlers in Kikisa Rabada and Lundi Ngidi. And so there's, there's a there's a nucleus of a really, really impressive looking side there. If they can get some consistency, they could be on the ascendance. And that would make this series against India in South Africa a real bellwether series for whether or not South Africa is on the up or maybe they've overachieved in the last 12 months. And the thing is, if you're South Africa... You have nothing to lose. No one is expecting you to win this series against India uh, in at home, even though it is at home. So they've got nothing to lose. They can go in and play free-flowing cricketing and, and get away with it. Mm. Uh, there is one uh, PSA, public service announcement, that uh, Quinton de Kock is expecting a child during the series. His, so His wife, presumably. His wife <laughs> yeah. is, is probably going to do most of the hard work there, but... Um, <laughs> He uh, he will yeah so he could dip out of that series at any any moment for paternity leave for paternity yeah. leave yes yeah uh, look I'm really looking forward to it I think you, you've touched upon it there Bordy with um, talking about Ngidi and and Rabada add Norkia into that it was very impressive in the World Cup I think you've got two pretty decent seam lineups on uh, what will hopefully be wickets that allow them to show their wares and I still think South Africa probably slightly underdone on the batting front um, when you compare the matchups against the quality in that Indian side Mm. Um, but home conditions got to come into it so um, yeah great that it's on the on the telly as well yeah um, for for us to watch Um, yeah really do like a diet that includes a lot of test cricket it actually um, times up very nicely with the end of the Australian day the start of the South Africa day, so it could be a, a long time on, on in front of the telly for a few of us. Some respite for the English um, watching uh, <laughs> uh, t- Test cricket without the emotion will be uh, will be very good. Lippy, you want to talk a little bit about uh, the Team USA squad? Yeah, look, I always like to get some New Zealand shout-outs, so I guess some international flavour this week. We've got uh, the USA T20 squad has been named for a couple of T20s against Ireland. Ireland coming to Florida around Christmas time, and um, Marty Kane, who uh, debuted for, for Canterbury many years ago and then played four or five, six, seven maybe years um, at CD, and, and it was a real stalwart for them in the the limit, the white ball over stuff. He's going to make his debut for 
Uh, well, hopefully he's in the squad anyway. He's going to make his debut for, for the USA. And there's some interesting names in that side. We've got Xavier Marshall and, and Rusty Tehran. A few few names that, you know, I guess we've seen around the cricketing world. And, yeah, we've, we've talked about how exciting it could be, I guess, from a, a worldwide perspective and, and the potential that the US could have if they can harness that. And it does seem like some good things are going on with the T20 leagues and stuff that they've been having at the moment. On the other side of uh, the the world over here in Australia, Colin Monroe does it again with a, a BBL uh, 100. I mean, <laughs> the door has started, the, the drums have started beating again. I mean, Raj, do, do you reckon that there's any chance that that door could open up again? I mean, the C20 World Cup is in, uh, you know, less than 12 months' time. It's in Australia. I think that he he has a case for being one of New Zealand's best opener, openers, if not the best in that format of cricket. But I think that uh, the New Zealand cricket team has moved on. Got fresh faces like Finn Allen, like Daryl Mitchell, uh, to, to partner Guppy when uh, at the top of the order. So I, I don't think that we'll be seeing uh, Colin Monroe in black clothing for the black caps. He might be wearing a part <laughs> of his wardrobe, but not for the black caps anytime soon. And Baldy, you just wanted to finish up. I know you love a, a bit of a scouting mission, and usually it's in sort of far-flung areas of the world, but you found one uh, down down in Canterbury. Yeah, I caught the highlights of a, a Super Smash game earlier this week. It was Canterbury CD, and Mitchell Hay made his debut, made 26 off, uh, 29 off 16, and just looked really assured as a cricketer. He looked really comfortable at the crease. He only got to 29, but he had a couple of big sprats over the, over the long on boundary, and he just looked like a really good cricketer. Um, so I'm not sure if he's any relation to Matthew Hay, who also played in that yeah, game. Yeah, brothers, brothers. Brothers, okay. So Mitchell Hay, the younger brother of Matthew Hay, no relation to Greg Hay, who I think plays for Don't CD. Believe so. um, but yeah, he looks like he could be a really good cricketer for the future. So uh, you heard it here first, again, on the Top Order podcast, <laughs> scouting report, Mitchell Hay, write it in your little black notebook and remember it for the future. I like how you say, heard it here first, once they've already been selected for their provincial side. But uh, on that game, I think we've got, we've got to give a shout out to, to obviously Reckonant. Colm Col McConkie scoring uh, the match-winning innings in that game. So, yeah, got to end like that. Teed that up beautifully for you, Lip, didn't I? <laughs> well, look, before this descends into an absolute farce, Baldy <laughs> making hay while the sun shines with his predictions. Um, but from all of us here at the Top Order podcast, it is good night and God bless. And um, Do look out in the feed for an interview with Black Cap Ratchin Ravindra, um, which will be hitting your feed very, very shortly. Um, but for now, it's good night, God bless. We'll speak to you soon. See ya.